Welcome to Unprecedented, Nursing During a Pandemic. This podcast is a collaboration presented by Marbury College, a leader in nursing and healthcare education, and William James College, a leader in psychology and mental health education. The series brings together nurses and psychologists for conversations about key issues that nurses and healthcare professionals are facing every day as the result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Hi everyone. Welcome to the podcast. This is Kate Wired. I'm the Executive Director of Communications for Labore College. In this episode, we will hear from registered nurse Shayna Curran and Dr. Jenny D'Olympia on the stress nurses are experiencing on the front lines. Most importantly, thank you to all of the nurses and healthcare professionals listening today. You have our sincere gratitude. A special thanks to Shayna who participated in this podcast on top of everything else going on in her life. Let's begin. Thank you both for being here today. Could you both start by introducing yourselves? Hi, I'm Dr. Jenny D'Olympia. I am a licensed mental health counselor and I have a doctorate in psychology. I am the assistant chair at William James College for the Counseling and Behavioral Health Department. I'm also the director for our online uh, Master of Arts in Psychology program, as well as the interim director for our Military and Veterans Psychology program. I have nine years experience in the Air Force, five active and four reserve. I've deployed a few times. And upon leaving the military, I joined the Department of Veterans Affairs, where I worked as a with returning veterans and their families and helping with the readjustment from war, focusing on anxiety, depression, and trauma. And that's what brings me here today is to talk a little bit about the experiences that are happening with, with, our, with our nurses who are working so hard in the field today. Hi, my name is Shana Curran. I am a registered nurse. I graduated Laboray back in 2016, went on to get my BSN, graduated in 2018 with that. I had a full-time position for a year before I started traveling, which I've been doing for about the last three years. So Shana, could you share with us what you were doing when COVID hit and how your career has changed since then? Well, I was actually on assignment in Colorado when COVID first started. And because of the assignment I was in, it was post-op PACU for recovery of the cath lab. And a lot of our procedures were cardiac clearance procedures for like hips and knees and stuff like that. And with the limited amount of surgicals that were being done, our assignments were getting cut short and short. Eventually, my contract got cut and it was just a complete crisis mode. So I did get offered for a COVID crisis position in Massachusetts at one of the hospitals and I started there. It was four 12-hour shifts, rotating day and evening, and just kind of jumped right into it. Initially, it was a four-week contract, and then they extended out for five additional weeks afterwards. So nine weeks in total, COVID crisis, which just means you're floated to some unit that's a COVID unit. There was, I think at max, about 700 COVID patients in the facility. So there was a lot of different units you could go to, and it was uh, seeing a lot of stuff you hadn't ever seen before. It was kind of getting thrown into it, figuring out PPE, how to do things, what new policies we were going to try to put in place, and then every day being told about something new that was occurring, whether visitors or policies or N95s, equipment we had, anything like that. It was just kind of roll with the punches, work with it, team effort for everything. Team effort more than just your manager, you and your aides, but team effort through the entire hospital with research and infectious disease everything that we could think of respiratory we had a huge role with it and just um kind of jumped in running seeing what we could do 
So what were you feeling and what were the nurses around you feeling around that time? I think the start of an assignment always as a traveler, everyone's appreciative of you being there. I think it was even shown more with this. We just ratios were out of control at first. You can't have four or five COVID patients. They decomposite way too quickly. You're calling respiratory in. We're maxing out on oxygen, trying to determine best time to innovate where they should be. It was chaotic, hectic, crazy. So everyone was super appreciative of you being there, which made it so much easier for me to walk into it. But it was the unknown. We had never been prepared for it. You kind of are told one day, don't give Motrin, for example. And then a week later, oh, we can give Motrin. Fevers are up. So don't just use Tylenol. The prone position versus supine position, if you can turn people on their sides, if there's going to be a turn team specifically, how often you should be going in rooms, like the basic things that you just always kind of assumed and did as a nurse now are being altered. Like I couldn't go in patients' rooms more than once an hour at first. They just didn't want you. So if you went in, then the aide went in next time or vice versa. And then it was the amount of time you spent in rooms kept going back and forth of how long you should be in there. N95s, how long can you use them for? Is it a one and done? Can they get recycled? Are they being cleaned properly to then rewear them? Can you wear equipment into multiple rooms if everyone has COVID because there's only one type? It was it was very hectic. Like, I don't know how else to describe it other than you didn't know and you just were taking ideas and, and going with them and then trying to communicate with everyone as to what the best is. But it's something we were never prepared for. Like I speak about nursing school. Nursing school is great. Laboree taught us well. I went on for my BSN after. They taught us a lot. But in those triage situations, you're tagging someone, like we have color code tagging system, you're using that for a plane crash or a car accident or something that's going to be for two, three hours. And then you're going to have all the support in the world and you no longer are going to have to black tag someone and walk away. Your, your critical patients that you would just kind of walk away from are now every day coming in, like nothing's changing. That sigh of relief after, you know, all those other team members come in a couple of days just never occurred. You worked 12 hours, you're exhausted, you go home, and then you wake up the next day to do another 12-hour shift. And my contract was 412s. I knew that walking into it. But a lot of the staff were expected to also take extra shifts because you don't have the staff to do proper ratios. And it's just, it's exhausting. It was, it was a lot physically, emotionally, mentally, just trying to learn things. And like I said, I had been a nurse for about four years when I was there, and I still was learning a ton about things that I already thought I knew. It's just, it was a lot. It was a lot to to work on. It seems like a really overwhelming pace to be operating at and and then not having any like stop and re reconstitute so that you can, you know, start new the next day. There's almost no time to, to stop and refresh. It makes it hard. I, I bet. It's hard to know how to get an out, like who you can talk to. I don't know if you have like coping ideas that you can help us with like as individuals or as a group because I would go home to my mother who was afraid for me every day and I'd go home and be like, don't touch me. I got a shower. I got to change. I got to put my laundry away before I'd even let her talk to me. And then I'm going to bed because I have an hour drive in the morning to get back into Boston. And it's, Mm -hmm. there's not many people that understand it. There's not many people you can talk to about it. HIPAA is a real thing. And people love you and they're concerned about you. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit there and tell my mom, oh, I pronounced two people today because she doesn't get it. And it's not fair to her. 
Well, I think you probably want to protect her from what you're seeing on a daily basis because it's so it's hard for you to see and you wonder how that might be like for her. I think some coping mechanisms that can be useful are, well, for example, um, self-compassion is one of them. I wonder how you would, like if you're having a really hard day, how would you talk to a friend who is having a hard day compared to how you might talk to yourself? I think when we talk to a friend, we say, you know, a lot we're much more gentle and a lot nicer and, and very supportive. And, you know, when we think about like when we're talking to ourselves about how hard our our day was and why aren't we doing what we should have been doing, then, um, you know, it turns out to be a little bit different of a conversation. I think another part of um, self-compassion too, is there just some nice things you can do for yourself throughout the day? Like even just holding your own hand, like putting your two hands together and holding your hands And telling yourself, I'm taking a moment to just, you know, to comfort myself or even putting your hand on your heart or, or crossing your arms and um, giving yourself a, a, just a a nice moment to say, um, you know, this is a really tough time. It's normal that I'm having a hard time because everyone in this situation would be having a hard time. There are a lot of nurses that are doing this, not just in the local area, not just in the country, but all around the world, the people are in tough times right now. And it's going to be hard. And it's going to be hard for a long time. And that's okay, that that we're going to get through this hard time. We've gotten through hard times before. We've lived through pandemics. We haven't personally, but there have been pandemics in the past. And society has rebuilt and grown and we've survived. So even though it seems like, you know, this is like so hard and how are we going to get through this, that, that it's, that's a normal feeling, I think. It's nice to hear because I think nurses, um, not just in particular nurses, but it's hard to give yourself that, like you said, talking to yourself. I don't talk to myself the way I talk to friends. I'm definitely not as supportive And in those situations, it's, okay, go home, change, shower, eat, go to bed. And then Mm. the next day, fresh face for my new patients that have no idea what happened yesterday that are now on the same boat of, am I going to live? And you're just positive. I mean, you can't, you can't say what you've seen. You just, no. What would you say to a friend who had that kind of a day? Oh, I can't imagine. Um, I'd probably just ask like what they're feeling and just kind of let them vent it a little bit and, and get it off their chest. Cause mm-hmm. it's a lot to see and not process and then continue yeah. and not process and continue. And for me in particular, like I did nine weeks and then I gave myself no time off for my next contract. So it was nine mm-hmm. weeks of go, go, go. And then onto my next contract. I still, I think speaking with you guys, I process things a little bit more now but mm. this is the first time I'm extremely open about it. I had I have one best friend, fabulous friend in the medical field, she's a resident that I can talk to kind of bluntly and she gets it and it doesn't scare her. But other than her, it's not something you really gave yourself the time to talk about or move on to. And then now when you do have the chance, like we had said before, it's eight months later and people just are either sick of hearing it, don't know if it's real anymore have gotten it and recovered. So it's fine. They don't need to deal mm-hmm. with it. And it's forgotten about. And it's, this is now the first time I have to sit down and talk about it. And right. so, I didn't talk about eight months ago, Never mind the fact that we're still in this and people are still mm-hmm. losing lives from COVID. 
maybe not at the extreme rate, or we might not be hearing about it as much because it's no longer newsworthy, but it's still occurring. People are still passing every day from COVID. Yeah. And it's still very real for, for nurses. And I think you said, you've said in the past that how hard it is to see people just going on about their business thinking I'm, I'm going to be okay, but they might need care and they're going to need that care from nurses. So I can only imagine is that's got to be difficult. I think it's hard seeing people that don't appreciate what it is, don't wear a mask and then think, oh, I'll just go to the hospital and get help. And I'm like, I'm the one that's going to help you. And you're the one putting me in danger and my family in danger. Like I wouldn't touch my mom, hug her, kiss her, anything for nine weeks while I was working these assignments. Like you're impacting me and my family, but you don't care until it impacts you where it's in your face. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many people just were like, oh, I don't know anyone that has COVID. Right. Okay. I know it doesn't impact you directly, but it does me on the daily. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, um, it's difficult. It's hard not to have like some form of resentment for those people. Yeah. And then, like I said, anger that like they don't, you're willing to say nurses are heroes and all this, but you're not willing to take the basic steps to protect us. Right. It's that's difficult. It's you're putting me in danger, but my job is to care for you. And no matter what you put the smile on your face when you go into work, every patient's a new patient, but it's definitely difficult. Yeah, I bet because you, you know, you went to training to help people and hope that people would want to help themselves as well. And then sometimes it seems like that's, you know, that's not the case always. Exactly. And we've dealt with it with like diabetics that come in that are like, oh, I had birthday cake last night. That's why my sugar is 300. Okay, you have an amputation, you know, this is bad, you know, you're not supposed to do this, like these are the steps, Mm -hmm. but it directly impacts them. Like you now have an amputation because you did all of this. Wow. Where in this mentality, it very much affects us as the healthcare providers. Like mm-hmm. our lives are just as at risk because it's an airborne virus. I, I never want to say like, oh, you choose your bed now lay in it with patients. Like we still provide them education. We still help them move forward. But at the end of the day, it is like, we will give you all the education. What you choose to do with it, you do. That's going to directly impact you as a patient. Mm-hmm. Where now it's, I'm going to give you all the education. I'm going to help you. I'm going to get you discharged from the hospital please then wear a mask to protect me and my family because I'm going to be directly impacted. And I think it, it's resentment when people appreciate you and all that. And then they do this, that's a direct impact on you. Um, and it's hard. Nurses always put a smile on their face. It doesn't matter if it's a dementia patient, doesn't matter who the patient is. If they're throwing poop at you one day, the next day it's still, hi, I'm Shane. I'm going to be your nurse today. Like, what can I do for it? Um, it's, it's like this continuum of like you go home, you vent, and then, okay, next day, put your face back on game plan. Right. And um, it's, it's okay to do it three times a week with 12-hour shifts. I always say I can do anything for 12 hours. Eight months later, we're still doing it. Yeah. And it must be hard to carry both those perspectives that one, um, you're doing this because you really care about people. And this mission is something you've chosen for your life and that you've dedicated yourself to and your studies and you've worked so hard to get here and you want to help people. And then at the same time, you know, carrying the, a little bit of resentment that people aren't also taking care of themselves because frankly, there's not enough to go around. Exactly. Exactly. And now you're being forced to make decisions that are not what were those decisions weren't in the book. Well, even with just education, the way you were taught in school, um, we never learned about, crisis as much like SARS wasn't really a thing. It never got to the U S you like read about it. 
the flu is something that as, as many people that die from it, it's something that's under control. We have a flu vaccine. It's something we see regularly, RSV in children, like things that we just see that we are okay with, that we know are happening. This has never been discussed. And like I said, like tagging someone in that you learned in school, this is crisis mode. This is what you do. Um, and then you get relief here. It was middle of April that I had a patient who came in with stroke-like symptoms, but couldn't get on the scanner because we didn't determine if he had COVID or not yet. And you have to wait until testing is done to then determine what machine he gets put on because we're trying to keep machines separate while all of a sudden he's like losing feeling on his left side. And I'm like, these are just the not being able to give someone the care that you immediately think they deserve or not doing things the way that you want it to. We all that became nurses became nurses for a reason very low percentage of people do it just for money. Like I became a nurse because I wanted to be bedside. I wanted to care. I wanted to touch a patient. Like I wanted to actually be next to a patient and then not being able to give that basic care that I think someone needs. It's discouraging. I don't, it's very upsetting to not do that. And then just to know like your role as a nurse, as a patient advocate, you are the one that's bedside that knows the patient best nothing against doctors and other team members, but like we're the ones that advocate to the physician saying, Hey, we've noticed this. I'm with the patient for 12 hours. They do rounds and see them, but I'm trying to advocate. And then when you call and you're like, okay, this guy now all of a sudden like has left sided weakness. He has a facial droop. Like we need to get him on a scanner. And they're saying, okay, there's red tape. We can't. Wow. And there are a lot of nurses. You're all doing the same thing, but there's again, like the, the, the fact that there aren't enough you know, there aren't enough MRI machines, there aren't enough tests, the tests aren't fast enough to really just be able to do what you've been trained to do. And I can imagine that's like that, like injurious of it. Even the start with intubating people and is there enough ICU beds with ICU trained nurses to take these patients? We're maxing out on, on, you know, OptiFlow or high flow nasal cannula because we don't have an ICU nurse yet that can take them and they're not in and respiratory therapist and anesthesia. There's not enough of them in house to innovate that now we're having to try to figure out who can come and, and roles are blurred and patient care is kind of blurred and just, it's not type a, a lot of nurses are, it's not the way we learned it. It's um, coming to terms with the things that you wanted to do and the things that you thought were going to be done just aren't. And right. rolling with the times I, I get, this is a pandemic. It's something brand new. It's just very hard to, be okay with when it's your patient that's getting affected. Right. And not being in control or knowing when you're going to be in control again is really, really hard. Oh, girl, tell me. (laughs) That is not my, (laughs) I'm not good at that. I like, I like to know what's happening, have a game plan. And like I said, just one day it's, oh, once they're on 10 liters, we're going to move them to the ICU and we'll innovate in the ICU and have things prepared to like, oh, there's not enough beds. We're going to do a bedside innovation here. And then we'll just try to see who we can send down to care for. It's every day it's something. And everyone was great with changing dynamics and moving things around. But you just happen to like, every day I was like, is my patient going to be the one that gets affected? And I think every nurse felt that way. Like you, you see these patients, you get to know them. They don't have family coming in. You are the one holding their hand. You're the one they're talking to. That's new too. Exactly. And usually the family's there to help you help support the support the family. You're the only now. I am I am great with bedside manner. Um, like that's the reason I became a nurse. I was hospice for a while first as a CNA. I love to be bedside, but when you have three critically ill patients that all are alone, you can't be with all three of them. 
And when they're crying saying like, I don't feel good, what's going to happen to me? How do you answer that question? Like, it's so difficult. Um, And then also not being able to go to rooms as commonly, like they're, they're, the hospitals are trying to help their staff, which I appreciate, like everyone's concern for everyone at that was, was fabulous. They were great with it. But having me not go in a room as easily because it is an isolation room, we're using isolation gear and all that stuff. I'm not able to sit bedside with them for a half hour and make them feel better because I just did a med pass and I have to come back in another hour for another antibiotic. Um, it's times where it's not what we prepared for. It wasn't what we went to school for. It was kind of spur of the moment, um, high stress, and it just didn't stop. Like I was at this one facility for nine weeks and it, the first day and the last day, nothing changed. It was still high stress. And I'm currently at another COVID assignment in North Carolina and it's still some of these patients, it's high stress. Like it didn't, we've gotten better with, I think our care, we've gotten better with our knowledge. We're being more innovative. We're doing a lot of more case studies, but things are still just as high stress. You're still not supposed to be in rooms long. You're still worried about PPE precautions and how much supplies you have. Like eight months later, those things are still there. So Dr. D Olympia, Shana just mentioned nurses are trained for crisis Uh, They are trained for disaster nursing, for example, after the marathon bombing or after a hurricane or a natural disaster. But what are the psychological implications of continuing in this state for eight or nine months or even a year as nurses are doing today? It actually reminds me of my own experience, like working with our returning veterans and like when they go and they're in a persistent crisis mode and the crisis happens like every day, there's another one and there's another response and there's a, you know, there's another recovery or, you know, and that just keeps happening over and over and over again. And and what that happens to your body then is that you start to operate at a very high level of anxiety and the, and your ability um, to operate at that lower level just sort of goes away. And then like, so if you were thinking about your anxiety level on a scale of one to 10, and every day you're operating at a nine or a 10, then you get really, really good at doing that. So then what starts to happen is um, it's hard to deal with those little things like there's no milk or there's a line um, at the grocery store or, you know, somebody's driving like a crazy person or they just honk at you a little bit. It just, it, it, it then becomes really, really hard to deal with things that aren't a crisis. And so being calm then becomes something that you have to actually teach your body to do again. Because, you know, being in that high level of anxiety and crisis, you know, makes your body and your mind and like what's going on, like just just sort of operate in a way that like gets you really good at that. And it just, I, I mean, it just, it made me think of, you know, when I was talking to our, all of our returning um, military veterans, um, and I know that's a tough, I, I think it's even our military and veterans don't like being talked about like, like they've done something really difficult because what what they often would say is we were just doing our job. We were trained to do this. We went to work. We did that. We came back. Let's get it on. Right. So, but, but, and, and nurses, I think um, my mother-in-law is a nurse and I think nurses in general just want to get it done. They went in, they want to get their job. They want everybody to leave them alone so they can get their job done really well and go back and do it again the next day. But when you do it at this pace, for eight months, it does take a toll on your mind and on your, uh, you know, on your functioning and the level of anxiety. I really think that. 
So I think that once we get out of this pandemic or, you know, when you get between your assignments, that that's the time to teach your body to be calm again. And some ways you could do that are even just taking a walk and saying, I'm, you know, I'm doing this for myself, taking a walk in nature even, or, you know, going on a hike, like even get get a little more exciting (laughs) than just a walk. You know, things that you can do for yourself, like even meditation is something that would be useful for teaching your body to be calm again. I definitely understand where you're coming from with that because as much as I enjoyed Dunkin' Donuts free coffee that day, having people say, thank you for what you do. I always wanted to be a nurse. I knew I was going to school to be a nurse. I am a nurse doing my job. Like we've never been the heroes wear capes people. Like that's not, nurses and doctors have never been in that category. Firefighters running a burning buildings. Cops are on the line every day. Military members are going overseas. Nurses, like we're just like, this is what we do. We've always been dealing with stuff. So it definitely didn't come easy having that. I, I valued it. I appreciate it. We got meals more often than you can expect. I very much appreciated it. But to have someone come up to you and just like give you those thank yous, you do brush it off because you can't let yourself come off of that disaster mode, like that crisis mode. Because when you do, then that's when things occur. And, and thank God, like I said, it was a nine-week assignment for me. I was able to walk away from it and go on to another assignment. Still, of course, COVID crisis. But the nurses that are there, this is, this is their every day. Nothing's changing. I think that's interesting. I wonder about the relationship that you develop with the nurses that you're on the floor with in those special crisis units. Do you stay in touch with them? Is it, is it a special, you know, it seems like that must be a special bond that you develop. I think nurses bond very quickly because it's life or death. A lot of the times, like when you're meeting Mm -hmm. these people, these are the ones that are going to be right next to you in the most critical of situations. A lot of the best friends I've met while being a traveler or because like day two or three, we had a code and I'm like, Hey girl, I know I can trust you. This is great. Like, Mm -hmm. so the nurses I met, I think the hard thing was that I floated every day to a a different unit. So I, I wasn't always with the same people. But many of the ones I've met, Instagram friends, I still chat, check up in on life. Some are now getting engaged and like life is occurring again. So that's awesome to see. But it's a bond you have and, and someone that you can talk to without muting yourself or having to think before you speak. Uh, they're not going to extra worry about you. Or I hate to say like, sometimes you're like, I just wish I like wasn't a nurse. If I said that to my mom, she'd be like, well, do you want to go to school for something different? Like, what would you, and you're like, no, I just like want to vent and be mad at the world and not be a nurse for a day. Like, and you just, you can't be yourself around people that don't get it. And so a lot of the times those people you develop relationships with are like my best friend who's a resident. She's an emergency medicine doctor. I could call her and just be like, oh, he was tacky in the 170s and then he went into this and then we had to do this. And you don't have to mute yourself or think before you speak. You can just talk and it, it makes it easier because as you said before, like those little things like nuances that you then can't deal with. Like if someone was like, well, what does tacky mean? Like, oh, don't even worry about it. Like it's not even, it's not a big deal. We're like, I hate to say, like, that's how pitiful it gets little things that annoyed you just because you're burnt out. It's, you didn't get the break. You didn't come up for that fresh burst of air to give you that energy. You just, you know, kept treading water because that's all you could do. 
Yeah. I think that's something else you can build on for your support structure is remembering about those, those special bonds that you have with the nurses that you've been in those situations with. And I think it can be helpful if you remember to reach out to them and stay connected because those are unlike any other bond you'll ever have. Like when you're in an emergency situation, people's lives are on the line and you perform together and you establish this level of trust that just is unbelievably difficult to find in in any other relationship in your life. So I think that, you know, being connected with those people and trying to maintain that would be helpful, I think, like your nurse battle buddies. (laughs) Yeah. Really, as you've said, the parallels between frontline nurses at this time and active military um, are profound. Do nurses need to be on the lookout for post-traumatic stress? And what are some of the signs of of PTSD? I think that would be, um, you know, individual to every nurse. And especially since right now we're still in the heat of the moment, like the battle is still happening. The The battle with COVID continues. I think when we when they get out of that situation and they try to go back to their, you know, their regular lives, even between, you know, you know, being on, you know, dirt between duties, if they're trying not to think about the experience they had, if they're avoiding uh, talking to people about it, if when they go uh, near the hospital or into that uh, room where 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 the experience and the exposure happen and they start to feel a physiological or psychological arousal that they're not, they don't understand. I think these are all um, sort of things that could indicate that they're having some kind of response related to trauma. I think there, you know, there's also anger and irritability. Um, If they have multiple of these symptoms and they persist well beyond, you know, I guess maybe a month or so after getting out of the the COVID crisis, I think that then they should probably go talk to someone. I don't think it would hurt to go talk to someone anyway. I think just having someone to process your emotions, to get additional coping skills, that you have nothing but an opportunity to gain from that. I definitely think when you're in it, like a lot of the facilities gave out free counseling sessions or free therapy. There was a lot of stuff given to us, opportunities, and HR would give stuff to their staff. And then, of course, as a traveler, they're like, we know you're not under us, but like if you need to speak with someone. It was so hard, though, during it to deal with it or address mm-hmm. it. And that like influx of emotion, just yeah. I'll talk about it and I get angry. And then I get happy that I could help. And then I get like there's definitely a, um, different emotions that still occur looking back on it. But then as I'm still traveling and still in crisis mode, you kind of just suppress and all over, I'll look and be like, oh, it's better today. Like I had better today than I did then. So like we're getting better, but then you go on and statistically look at things and it's like, it's not always better. And I think having to take yeah, and take that time to like two step out of it to kind of like address and understand how you're feeling. Like I said before, having this podcast has made me talk about it and realize a lot where I, like, whenever you said the first time, like, PTSD, and I'm like, no, 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 like, that's a military thing. And like, I know as a nurse, like, people can have PTSD, like, disaster or um, death in the families, or there's plenty of different forms of it. But I just, 
it was something that like you don't talk about and then having these conversations I'm like okay like I guess I can relate to what you're saying it's possible it's yeah <laughs> I think it's something just to be like I think though when you're like in service and you're you're taking care of other people it's hard to accept that you might need help too and it's hard to then reach out and accept help And I think sometimes if you don't get the right kind of help in the moment, that it might be hard too to reach back out for help again. Because I think if you're over-processing the traumatic exposure that you're having on a daily basis, it can be really hard to then re-engage again. Uh, Because when you're having, you know, these basically perpetual disaster moments and you have to no, you know, you know, that's going to happen again. That just, it, you know, just talking about the exposure increases your, your, your level of anxiety. So if it's already really high and then you just, you know, raise it up a little more then and you have to go back, what you have to learn now is like containment and, you know, how some calming things and some, some self-care and self-compassion so that, you know, this is a really tough moment and it's going to be really hard for a long time. And that's okay, because you're human, and you're going to have some days that are harder than others. And some days, it's going to be hard to go in. And other days, you're going to think, well, that wasn't such a bad day. And those are the moments to hold on to. And I think when this whole crisis is over, that we're going to have a lot of nurses that need us to be aware that they might need some help like doing an evaluation, encouraging them to get some additional care for additional coping skills. Um, Because even though they're the expert at taking care of people, they're not the expert at taking care of themselves. You know, your limb could be hanging off and you're going to be go try to fix that guy over there to make sure he's going to survive it. Um, So I think I really think that that's sort of the the persona it takes to be in the medical profession. Um, and th- that, those are the people who are attracted to that and you're really good at it. Um, but then what gets left aside is, you know, you got to get a little help with your arm too, to make sure that you can get that fixed because you're going to need them to help other people. I think the best sort of thought I can think of is like, like what they tell you when you're on an airplane and you're, you're about to take off and they say, listen, if you have kids, put the mask on yourself first, or you're not going to be able to breathe enough to put that mask on your children. And then you're both going to be knocked out from lack of oxygen, right? So, so I think you have to figure out what the balance is for your life. So that when it feels like you're at an eight or a nine or a 10 all the time, and you can't get back down, it's really, it's probably a good idea to take a break and get some uh, coping skills so that you can um, put the mask on yourself and still then if you can get out of that, then be available to then offer that mask to all the other people because we need you. I think it's hard realizing that we even have to do that evaluation to see where we are because mm-hmm. we're all the worst patients. Like we, it, mm-hmm. I'll take care of myself. It's fine. I'll deal with it. 
as you laugh at me. <laughs> no, no, I just I have family who they're nurses and they're the last one to go to the doctor. They're like, I can't move, I can't breathe. Like, and you're like, go to the doctor. And like, we're the first go to tell patients, like, go talk to someone, get the help you need, like self-evaluate, like check in with yourself but we will be the last ones. And I think a lot of it does like in my mentality, and I don't know if other people feel this way, but like I signed up for this. Like I wanted to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. I know what I was getting myself into. Um, People say like, you didn't know COVID was going to come in town. I didn't, but whether it was Mm -hmm. Boston Marathon, whether it's a plane crash, whether it's a subway coming up, I signed up to be a part of that. And um, it's hard to then realize that being a part of it has also then impacted me some way. Right. And that it's something you have to address. Yeah, I think it's something to pay attention to for sure. And it's very hard to do. Um, But I would definitely recommend paying attention to your mind and your body and like your level of arousal. And like, are you able to recover in those times in between? Because if you're not, that's a time that it's, it's a it's like a flag to get, get some more skills. Considering many nurses are reluctant to evaluate themselves or take care of themselves. Are there any red flags or behaviors that nurses and loved ones could watch out for? I would pay attention to their behaviors from before this happened to now. And have they increased? Are they, um, you know, like spending all of their money, like more than they have? Are they um, driving fast? Are they losing their temper often? like screaming at people they wouldn't ordinarily be screaming at? Are they having difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, or are they waking up and not able to go back to sleep again? Are they having uh, nightmares every night about that? That would be a red flag. Are they think, Are they having thoughts of self-harm? I think that is a big thought of, and they might just be pushing it off. And I think a lot of people have thoughts that maybe it would be easier if I didn't wake up tomorrow. But if they start to consider a plan or how they might be able to do that, I think they really, that's a big red flag. Like that's time to go and talk about it. And people are really afraid to talk about that because the immediate thought is they're going to lock me up. And that, I'll have to tell you, doesn't really actually happen that often. Um, (laughs) It's rarely that even in my role, um, being in mental health um, since 2002, there are only a handful of people we've said, I think it's time to go. And they had a, you know, they had a really dangerous plan and they wouldn't budge. But I think that if you're having those, if you're having fleeting thoughts of harming yourself, or, or killing yourself, I think that is a definitely a red flag. And it's time to go talk to somebody about it, if that's the case. How do you think, like, a lot of us self-isolated on, on purpose, um, mm. like, physically and mentally. So self-isolated in the fact that, like, I was in a different bathroom. I would do my laundry separately. Like, I didn't want to be around my mother. I wouldn't go visit any of my friends because you can have COVID and not have symptoms for a couple of days. Um, I know spouses that wouldn't live with their spouse because we were given discounted hotel fees. So they'd stay at a hotel just to literally physically isolate themselves so that they weren't bringing this home. And then mentally, I mean, just trying to forget the day, isolate in the events, the day in its own, on top of not talking to a lot of people, because by the time you're out of the hospital, you're exhausted, you go to bed, you're not having a phone call with someone saying, I had a really bad day. Like my conversations would be from the hospital to the parking lot 
and then would always leave like, all right, see you tomorrow, like back for more fun. And just that isolating yourself on so many levels, like how do you, is that okay to do? Or are we supposed to try to prevent that? I think this is really a hard time because you're not going to run into people like you would have ordinarily or go, you know, sit around a camp, you know, a fire in your yard and just hang out and talk and process things like that has to be something you do intentionally now. Like you have to have a plan for processing how hard this was and people you can talk to about that. And that's where that, you know, that, that sisterhood of, of nurses or sister and brotherhood of nurses um, comes into effect there is that, you know, if you had just a few nurses that you really trusted that you were in the stress time with, if you had a, like a, a, a regularly scheduled zoom, even if you had it three times a week and it was dropping, you know, because you guys have such crazy schedules that change all the time. If you had a, uh, a moment that you knew that you could reach out and be connected with people who understand you, I think that would be really helpful. I think uh, the way that we're isolating, especially if we really like to isolate anyway, um, these days is not, is not helping the, you know, our mental health. Uh, but I think it's, you know, because you're trying to help your physical health and you're actually trying to keep your family safe. Um, and this, you know, talking on Zoom and uh, talking on, you know, all the other electronic platforms is it's hard and it's exhausting. But it's also really helpful if you can connect with some people, at least on a weekly basis. I would say a few times a week, if you can just be in touch with someone. Who you can talk to. Thank you for listening. If you are a nurse, a CNA, caregiver, or healthcare worker, or in housekeeping or environmental services, thank you for everything you are doing and sacrificing during this time to take care of us. If you found this information helpful, please share it with your fellow colleagues. To access additional resources, share the podcast with your friends on social media and provide suggestions for further episodes. Please visit Library College on Facebook or Instagram. That's L-A-B-O-U-R-E, or use the hashtag care for nurses. Additional resources and contact information is also available in the show notes. This podcast does not take the place of individual advice from a licensed mental health professional or medical doctor. Please seek support if you are struggling to cope with ongoing stress or negative thoughts. If you or someone you know is suicidal or in emotional stress, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. Thank you for listening. We wish you health in this unprecedented time.